right. Well, of course, with it being the Christmas season, we've got to talk about Christmas, don't we, in God's Word? And uh, we've put together a series for you called Four Christmases. And in this series, you will be hearing really from the perspective of four different individuals who were involved in the original Christmas. And this morning, our focus is on believing the impossible. We're going to hear a little bit about Mary's perspective in this situation. Did you know that there are two versions of the Christmas story in the New Testament? There's two versions. And although scholars debate the differences and they try to reconcile the two accounts, I think that there's a fairly simple explanation. What we see in the two versions is that Matthew actually kind of tells Joseph's story and Luke tells Mary's story. We invite you to read both versions, not right now, on your own, but I encourage you to read both versions of the story in one sitting and you'll notice that difference in perspective. Matthew tells the story like a man would. And then Luke emphasizes the things that a woman would consider to be important. And so we're going to actually, since our focus is on Mary this morning, we're going to read Luke's version. And Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 is where we're going to start and just read a short passage this morning. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So what do we know about Mary from Luke's gospel? First, her father's name was Eli. She had a sister named Salome, and she had a relative named Elizabeth, who was named in this passage. She's a young, poor, devout believer in God. And she's very much in love with a man named Joseph. This last one is the key to the story. Mary is a teenager in love, likely about 16 years old. 
When the story opens, Mary is already engaged to Joseph. This means that she had formally agreed to marry him, but the wedding hasn't taken place yet. And the time of the engagement leading up to the wedding feast was often up to a year. During this period, the couple was considered to be married and actually called husband and wife, but they did not live together and did not consummate their marriage physically. Following the custom of the day, Mary would live with her parents and Joseph would live with his. After the public wedding feast, Mary and Joseph would then live together as husband and wife. Everything in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 happens against this very background. Mary's about 16 years old. She lives with her parents, most likely in Nazareth. And she's waiting with happy anticipation for the day of her wedding. And like teenagers everywhere, Mary can hardly think of anything else except for Joseph. Some of you are chuckling. You must have had teenagers, or maybe you were a teenager once. Hmm. This is the most exciting time of Mary's life. It's right at this point that God interrupts. It doesn't seem like this is when he speaks to us as well. God speaks to us in sometimes our most exciting times. And sometimes when we're content, sometimes when we're looking forward to plans of our own. He's about to ask a previously unknown teenage girl to take part in something that is so shocking as to be totally unbelievable. What God is asking Mary to do will change her life and change the world forever. Gone are the happy dreams of a beautiful wedding. Gone are the carefully thought out plans for a wedding feast. Gone are the hopes for the most beautiful wedding to the most wonderful man who ever lived. Gone are all of her girlish hopes of a quiet life in the home that she would personally decorate. Yes, Mary would be married, but not before rumors would spread throughout the countryside. There'd be a wedding feast, but it wouldn't probably look the way she had planned. She'd have a home, and it would be filled with children, but over her family, an uneasy cloud of dark suspicion would always be prevalent. All of it is going to happen, but not the way Mary expects. Back in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. See, these two verses set the framework, and they let us know what's about to happen, and that historically, it actually happened. It's not the figment of some writer's imagination. It's not some kind of a religious upper story hallucination. What did Mary see? It says she saw an angel named Gabriel, and we know his name because the text tells us that. We know a few other facts as well. It happened in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We know that it happened in the little village of Nazareth in Galilee. We know it happened while she and Joseph were engaged to be married. These verses stress two facts about Mary. First of all, 
that she is a virgin. The Greek word involved, it's parthenos, it leaves no room for doubt. It means a young woman of marriageable age who has never had sexual relations with a man. Second, she has no idea what is about to happen. Mary's completely in the dark, without a clue that her life is about to be radically changed forever. The other fact that we need to know at this point is Mary and Gabriel are about to have a conversation in which Gabriel is going to do most of the talking. He says three different things to her, and she responds to what he says. Each time Mary responds, we see how she begins to believe the impossible. Let's see if we can't use our own imagination to reset the scene a little bit. Let's suppose Gabriel first appeared to Mary one day when she was at home helping her mother around the house. What's Mary doing? Well, outwardly, she's likely doing her chores. And in this case, she was about to go to the well and draw some water, maybe to do the laundry. Joseph is coming over tonight for supper. She's so excited to see him, and she's so excited because she wants to talk over the new ideas for the wedding feast, and she has some new ideas for the dress, maybe, that she's going to wear. She thinks he's going to love the ideas. She's excited to see him, and in her mind, she's been ticking off the things she wants to talk to him about. So many details, so little time. Tonight, the two of them would probably take a romantic walk along the road and talk about the wedding. She can hardly wait for his arrival. Her mother then interrupts the daydream by asking her to fetch the water from the well. And so Mary, quite happy to help her mother, walks out into the yard. And what she doesn't notice is the stranger Gabriel standing by the olive tree. She glances up at him and starts to say, excuse me, when something made her hesitate. It wasn't fear exactly, more like probably surprise and maybe being baffled about who is this strange man and why is he standing in my backyard? Then Gabriel speaks and he says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. I suspect that Mary simply didn't know what to make of it. You know, it's as if someone you've never seen came up to you and said, Good news, this is your lucky day. God's chosen you for a special blessing. How would you respond to that? You know, verse 29 tells us that she was confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think, what could the angel mean by all of this? After all, she's 16 years old. She's about to be married. She's dreaming of Joseph. She's thinking about the long walk they're probably going to take on the road. And she's just come out to the well to get a bucket of water to do the laundry. And now some stranger she doesn't know meets her and says something bizarre to her. No wonder she wondered about it. But that's not the half of it. Because without a pause, Gabriel proceeds to to just blow her mind. He tells her she's going to have a baby. And not just any baby, 
She's going to give birth to the Son of God. And if we listen again to those words that we've heard time and time again, but this time, think about being 16. Think about being in love. Thinking about that you're about to be married. Putting all these things into what's happening. And you're on your way to the well to get some water to do the laundry. You don't have any inkling of about what you're about to hear. And in verse 30, the angel says to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, For you've found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of God Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Again, put yourself in her shoes, and this is the statement that's made to her. Isn't it quite a conversational opener? If you were Mary, would you argue? Would you ask for clarification? Would you call 911? Strange guy in your backyard telling you're going to do stuff that's impossible. But Mary does none of these things. In fact, she passes over all of that hard stuff. And when Gabriel says he'll be called the son of the most high, she doesn't ask what this means or why she was picked with such a high honor. None of these ordinary concerns seem to affect her in the least. She only has one question, and it's a technical matter which she would like cleared up. She says, but how will this happen? (laughs) I'm a virgin. It's a perfectly natural question. Mary's engaged, but not married. She's never had sexual relations with a man. How then can she become pregnant and bear a son? Note here, which again is kind of mind-blowing to me, but it speaks to who Mary is. She does not doubt the angel's word. You notice that she doesn't doubt at all? Even though it must have sounded incredible, she believed what the angel said. Her only question had to do with how could this happen? And in essence, she says to Gabriel, all right, I'm willing to do my part, but you need to explain how we're going to handle this one little problem. (laughs) That's real faith. That's believing the impossible. It's trusting God when the facts argue against the reality. And once this big question has been settled, there only remains one final word from Gabriel. And we see it in verse 35. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. The key point in Gabriel's explanation is that what is about to happen to Mary will be the result of a direct intervention from God. The Holy Spirit will be the angel of the agent of the virgin birth, overshadowing is the means of the virgin birth, and the Son of God is the result of the virgin birth. In reality, there's really no other way for Jesus to be born. And Gabriel's words imply that the virgin birth was not just another Christmas miracle that God could have dispensed 
had he so chosen. Because without the virgin birth, there'd be no Christmas at all. So does this mean that Gabriel has now made everything perfectly clear to Mary? Of course not. Neither God nor Gabriel demands that Mary needs to understand everything. What's required of her is only this, that she believes and that she willingly submits. And since Mary would likely have doubts about all of this, Gabriel calls her attention to the case of her relative Elizabeth, who's in her sixth month of pregnancy, which incidentally would result in the birth of John the Baptist. And even though she'd been barren and she and Zacharias were too old to have children, yet through a miracle of God, she's expecting her first child. Now, of course, these cases aren't the same. Mary's a teenager and unmarried. Elizabeth is perhaps 70 years old. And Elizabeth's conception came the natural way, while Mary's came via the Holy Spirit. But both are examples of human impossibilities that were made possible by the promise and the word of God. Which brings us to verse 37, a great Christmas verse often overlooked at this time of the year, but often overlooked all year round. And that is, for nothing is impossible with God. You see, if we could just grasp that verse in our day-to-day, I don't know about you, but there are days when I think it looks impossible. Anybody had one of those days? This verse could be repeated every day of our life. Nothing is impossible with God. He's able to do anything he decides to do. And if he wants to cause a virgin to conceive, he can do it. Throughout the history of the church, Mary has often been portrayed as kind of a a misty, otherworldly figure. And if you look at some of the great paintings of Mary, they make her look so peaceful that you almost forget she was a real person. Doesn't she? When you see Mary in the paintings, she's just like, oh yeah, I had the son of God. No big deal, right? It's a shame because Luke makes it very clear that she was very real with very real doubts very real questions, very real faith. And nowhere is this seen with more clarity when we look in verse 38. And it says, Mary respond, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I think without exaggeration, we could call this one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible. She's not questioning. She just says, may it be as you have said. But now remember for just a second, you're 16 years old. You're very much in love. Your mother has asked you to go out to the backyard to fetch water. You're on your way to the well and you run into a man you've never seen before. All of these things happened. (laughs) within just moments. And now you find out you're going to get pregnant, you're going to give birth to a son, he's going to be the son of God. 
And when you ask how, he says, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will cover you like a cloud and you'll end up pregnant. Oh, okay. What do you say to that? Well, here's the thing. Mary said yes. She said yes to the impossible. She said yes to God. She said yes to the plan of God. And I have to think, did her heart skip a beat when she said yes? I'll bet it did. There she is, a young teen girl, her head tilted high, her hands trembling just a little bit. She's wide-eyed, she's nervous, she's open-mouthed, she's questioning, but not afraid. She's wondering, but not terrified. She's unsure, but not uncertain. And she takes a deep breath The angel says, nothing is impossible with God. And she says, may everything you have said about me come true. And with those words, Christmas and Jesus came into the world. There's a short video I'd like us to watch together. Let's not underestimate what it cost Mary to say yes to God. From the moment of her saying yes, she faces the scorn of her friends. Can you imagine them? Oh, Mary, how could you expect us to believe such a bizarre story? The gossip of the neighborhood was probably, did you hear about Mary? I guess that he finally got lucky. And the whispers of promiscuity lasting for 2,000 years. You see, Mary knew or would soon realize that saying yes to God meant 
misunderstanding and public shame. And since we know the end of the story, we may tend to overlook the possibility of divorce. But Mary had no way of knowing how Joseph would respond to this pregnancy. Would he humiliate her publicly? Would he divorce her? And as the story turns out, Mary had every reason to worry about Joseph. He didn't blow his top. He didn't try to humiliate her, but he did intend to divorce her. And only another angel's intervention kept that from happening. Divorce was on Mary's mind as well by saying, yes, she risked losing the man she loved, even public execution by stoning. Her whole future was on the line. See, what we don't understand is to have been found pregnant without being married meant most likely that she would be killed. And all of these things were just the beginning. Mary couldn't know the future would hold. Before it was all over, she would experience heartache, opposition, slander, confusion, anguish, despair, and loneliness. And then the greatest pain of all that a mother could endure would be to watch her son die on a cross. Mary couldn't know all these things. And perhaps if she had known, she might not have said yes. But it's just as well that she didn't. Sometimes don't we say, I wish I know what the future holds for me? Sometimes don't we say, I just wish God would show me what's next? There was a man I worked with at, uh, at one time that I got to lead to Jesus. We worked in a men's clothing store, and I just remember the conversation so clearly. We were talking about hearing God's voice, and he looked at me, and he said, sometimes I wish God would just lower a chalkboard, and he would write on there what it is I'm supposed to know. And yet, I think maybe we really don't want to know. Sometimes it's far better that we don't know what life will bring us in the next 10 or 15 years. See, Mary didn't know the full cost of saying yes, but having made her decision, she never looked back. And those two aspects of her life might be the greatest things we can say about her. She believed God when it seemed like it was impossible, and she never looked back. I have no doubt that Mary must have asked herself, why me? Why, why would God choose an obscure peasant girl in some out-of-the-way village as the chosen vehicle to bring his son into the world? There's many answers that have nothing to do with Mary, but there's one answer that has everything to do with her. You see, God chose Mary because he trusted her, and he already knew what her response would be. He knew she was willing to believe the impossible. He knew that she was willing to pay the price for that belief. And he knew she was willing to bear a child out of wedlock in order to bring God's son into the world. See, Mary said yes to shame and to glory. She said yes to God's power. She said yes to the impossible. And saying yes brought her a burden of 33 years of turmoil and heartache. It brought her joy. She got to be the mother of the Son of God. 
It brought her the fact that amongst women, there has never been anyone greater known in the world. I think if somehow Mary could be here today and we could ask her, was it worth it? I think she would say yes. And it's still true today that nothing is impossible with God. It's as true as it was 2,000 years ago. And it's also true that somebody has to say yes or else the impossible will never happen. You see, the things that happen in our lives that include faith include us saying yes and trusting God to bring it about. This should encourage us at this season of the year because the Christmas story is filled with miracles from the beginning to the end. The wise men see a miraculous star in the sky and they travel to Bethlehem. The angels proclaim God's glory and the shepherds hear them. An old woman gives birth to a son. A virgin gets pregnant. A wicked king kills all the babies in Bethlehem except the one baby he most wanted to kill. The baby and his parents are warned in a dream of the king's evil plan and they escape to Egypt in the nick of time. There are miracles after miracles in the Christmas story. And there's two words that always go together, Christmas and miracles. It's good news for all of us and very good news for some of us. I understand that some are here today are carrying heavy burdens. For some of you, this Christmas may be lonely this year. Some of you are facing a financial crisis, and it might even look hopeless to you at this moment. Some of you are out of work, and you don't have a single lead on a good job. Some of you are looking at a marriage that seems worse than hopeless. Some of you are estranged from members of your own family. Some of you have children that are far away from God. Some feel lonely and far away from God yourselves. The list can go on and on, but all of these things have one thing in common, and that is they seem impossible to solve by human means, and for the most part they are. After all, if human means would have solved your problems, they would have been solved long ago, right? What is it that God wants from us? We need to remember that Christmas is all about miracles. They happened 2,000 years ago. They still happen today. And total comprehension about the future before we'll trust him No, that's not what he's asking for, because that's impossible. Besides, it's better we don't know what the future holds sometimes. So what does God want from us? The same thing he wanted from Mary. Simple faith that he'll keep his word in unlikely and unexpected ways. Let's stand up together and we'll close in prayer. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, I've heard this story dozens of times in my lifetime, Pastor Bob, but I really just did not understand that it's Jesus who I need. That you need 
the miracle that we're talking about today. You need the miracle of eternal life, sins forgiven. I want to give you that opportunity this morning before we close. So I'm going to ask everybody with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, not looking around. If you're here this morning and you need a miracle, you need God. You need to know that your sins are forgiven. You need to know that you have an attorney in heaven. I'm going to ask you just to look up at me quickly. Guys, see that face, see that face, see that face, see your face. I'm going to ask everyone to pray together this morning with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I recognize that he is the only one can set me free for an eternity. Jesus, I thank you today for coming for me. In Jesus' name. Father, we don't pray for more faith. We pray rather for courage to exercise the faith that we already have. Make us more like Mary, willing to believe in spite of the doubts. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name today and we celebrate your birth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.